brethren, if Jesus required the same qualifications for the saints who will rule with him, as does this nation, of what standards would we need to meet? And we're going to kind of compare a little bit before we get into the meat of the sermon. Uh, you know, what about uh, if God places us over this particular nation? Now, we know this is the nation of Manasseh, uh, but we, of course, uh, have called it the United States of America, which unfortunately, and this year especially, we're not quite united. <laughs> so uh, we are America. But uh, and we know that the position is already taken by one of the original apostles. Uh, but what if, you know, we were given that responsibility? Well, according to this nation standards, we would need to be at least 35 years old. Now, how many of you are 34 or younger? Just see a show of hands. 34 or younger. You guys are disqualified. <laughs> So uh, just write that off. Now, I'm just talking about this world standards. <laughs> well, uh, you know, if we begin counting the resurrection, also will be about one year old or less. So uh, that would kind of disqualify most of us. But physically speaking, uh, there are many who are 35 or older. Also, we need to be a resident for 14 years. I think that probably will work for most of us uh, in this nation. Um but there are some unstated requirements. For example, we would need experience. This is what is recommended. Again, unstated, but uh, normally followed. We'd need experience in government or in high military rank. Uh, how many of you have had held elective offices? Okay, how many of you have not held elective offices? Disqualified. Uh, you know, you're, you're uh, on the wrong track. And I think most of us are, are not uh, high in the military either, at least as far as uh, experience. Another one is the ability to raise large amounts of money. So how many of you are able to uh, raise large amounts of money? You know, like millions of dollars. See a show of hands? Disqualified. Our political beliefs must fit in for a major party. Now, of course... Right now, uh, the major party is not God, uh, although he is in charge of all things. Uh, but as far as on this earth, it's the politics among men. And so that wouldn't work out uh, very well either. Now, personal characteristics, mental stability. Hey, we're working on that. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll get to that point. Uh, mental and emotional stability uh, to be rulers uh, with Christ. Uh, skill in debating and fielding leading questions from reporters. Well, you know, we are learning to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. And uh, certainly we know that uh, uh, the apostles had to do that, and they were talking about the hope of the resurrection. Now, it's kind of interesting. Individuals might bring out, well, what are we going to be persecuted for? Well, it's kind of interesting, uh, they were persecuted not necessarily for keeping the Sabbath at the beginning. Now, prophecies show that that might be later on here. And we've, we've suffered job persecution, other type of things. Uh, but it's interesting that, uh, you know, the, when the church uh, established by Jesus Christ started out, uh, they were in Jewish communities. And so they were persecuted for the truth of the gospel, 
that Jesus Christ is king. The hope of the resurrection that some of the religions did not believe in. And so it's kind of interesting uh, that why, you know, why individuals are persecuted for certain reasons. So again, we're uh, answering according to the hope because we believe we're going to become part of the very family of God uh, when Jesus Christ returns. And it'll be easier to answer these questions when uh, Satan is out of the way uh, who influences the world. Uh, what other attributes do human beings exalt in their leaders? Well, one is ability and accomplishment. You might turn to First uh, Kings chapter 11. Uh, this is actually uh, referring to Solomon uh, in this particular uh, situation. But Solomon, uh, who you think <laughs> would have, you know, because of God giving him uh, wonderful wisdom, but uh, he was impressed with human valor and industriousness. Uh, we are familiar with the name Jeroboam. Now, what did Solomon say about Jeroboam? What's interesting, he says, The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that this young man was industrious, uh, made him an officer over all the labor force of the house of Jacob. So Solomon uh, was very impressed with this individual who had valor and a can-do attitude. Uh, he got things done. And eventually God allowed this man, Jeroboam, to become king of Israel. But what did he do uh, with this impressive uh, aspect of human nature? Well, this Jeroboam changed the time of God's feast from the seventh month to the eighth month. So if we were living in the time of Jeroboam's reign, uh, you know, hopefully not as God's people, we would still <laughs> maintain the truth. But in general, individuals would have been keeping the feast a month later because he changed it because he didn't want them to go back to Jerusalem to keep the feast with uh, those people. He made shrines on the high hills. He set up Two golden calf idols, one in the south and one in the north. And then he appointed in place of Levites to be the teachers and priests, the lowest of the people to be priests. That's mentioned in 1 Kings 12. So was he qualified because he was had a man of valor and again industrious? Was he qualified in God's sight? Well, what God told uh, us about Jeroboam in 1 Kings 14, He says, You have done more evil than all who were before you, and I will bring disaster on your house. And we find that throughout the uh, book of Kings and Chronicles, Jeroboam became uh, the low benchmark <laughs> for all the kings coming after him. Because they had mentioned, well, this other king, you know, he followed after the sins of Jeroboam. You know, I hope none of us, uh, you know, have that kind of reputation, uh, you know, as a low mark 
in God's church. Uh, we don't want that. But uh, this man who was even uh, impressive to King Solomon uh, turned out to be one of the worst leaders uh, there in Israel. Other leaders were chosen for their appearance and impressive stature. Uh, you know, Saul describes, uh, King Saul was described in 1 Samuel 9 as young, goodly, and towering over, uh, 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 over other men. And, uh, you know, human beings, you know, we are kind of impressed, uh, with, with a, a large stature that's very manly and masculine. And yet, what did Saul accomplish with his impressive stature as king? Well, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we'll begin here in verse 10. End up there. First Samuel, again, 15, verse 10. Let me make sure I get to the right chapter. There we go. He mentions here, Now the word of the Eternal came to Samuel, saying, You notice this is uh, what God looked upon Saul as being. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. So here was again an individual that looked humanly very, very impressive as a leader. And you know, there are some individuals that kind of have that appearance. They, they kind of seem like they should be a king. Or they should be a, a very much, uh, you know, a leader. I remember we had uh, one teacher in Ambassador College. Uh, he, he was very tall, very impressive, and he even bragged he had a Bible, and he called it the uh, Nephilim Bible because it was so big. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was impressive. But again, uh, unfortunately, uh, he did not continue uh, with, with the work of God. But he was impressive uh, as, as a human being. Well, going on in verse 13, uh, Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Eternal. I have performed the commandment of the Eternal. And Samuel said, Well, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? Because, uh, you know, God had commanded Saul to, to, uh, to not keep these animals, but to, uh, to uh, kill them. And so basically, uh, if we put it in a more humorous way, Samuel said, well, then this is a miracle. Uh, all these dead animals are, are still, you know, light lowing and, and uh, mooing and, and uh, you know, it's incredible. Well, Saul said, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the eternal your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So what he was saying, well, God, I know I didn't quite obey, and it's really their fault, not mine. <laughs> they did it. Uh, however, we had good motivation 
uh, you know, we wanted to, to uh, you know, save these to, to honor you, uh, God. Well, Samuel said uh, to Saul in verse 16, he said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the eternal anoint you king over Israel? And so there was a time when when Saul was was humble. Now I know in the uh, sermonette, Mr. Rupert mentioned, uh, Rupert mentioned uh, Dr. Uh, here uh, Len Torrance, and it was kind of interesting. Uh, Dr. Torrance it was a, a pretty commanding figure at, as one of the teachers. Not not he's not big in stature, but because of all of his experience and the war and, and enduring captivity and his faithfulness to God's work. Uh, you know, he was, he was uh, very well respected. And I remember one Feast of Tabernacles that uh, he, he was in the audience and I think he was scheduled to give a sermonette. And uh, the minister giving the sermon, you know, uh, went by his seat and uh, said, listen, uh, you know, because of, of your reputation and experiences, if you would like a lot more time in your sermonette, not a problem. And uh, he, he was very humble. He said, no, no, you're, you're the pastor. And here, here, this pastor was one of his students. He said, "No, you're the pastor. You take the time. I'm, I'm, I'm just here to serve." And again, it just showed a, an example of humility that that uh, individual had. So, uh, Doctor Torrance uh, was spiritually impressive in the various ways. And Saul apparently started out that way, uh, very humble. And so he said, as again he continues. Uh, verse 18, Now the Eternal sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. And we have to realize some of these societies uh, were, were horrible to the extreme. I mean, sacrificing uh, their own children uh, to the gods. And, uh, you know, terrible immorality, violence, and so on. It, it's uh, oftentimes what we're beginning to see in our society today. And then so, uh, as God instructs Samuel to say, why then did you not obey the voice of the Eternal? You know, why did you use your human reasoning to disobey God? You know, why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Eternal? And Saul as he continues here, said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Eternal and gone on the mission on which the Eternal sent me. And I brought back Agag, king of Amalek. But I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, but they had a good reason to sacrifice to the Eternal, your God, in Gilgal. And so Samuel said, Has the eternal as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the eternal? He says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, to listen, you know, to be teachable than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You might want to think about that. You know, it's kind of interesting uh, that uh, certainly in our nation, 
uh, you know, that, that American independent spirit and so on that has been mentioned, I think, probably several times uh, during the feast. But uh, there are people who, again, will, will rebel, will justify, you know, uh, again, uh, going against government and so on. And yet, on the other hand, they would be horrified uh, to uh, be accused of witchcraft or the occult. And here it's equated to the, to the same thing. Well, why? Well, witchcraft is basically of Satan the devil. But do you realize rebellion is as Satan the devil? You go back to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and you realize that that was a problem with, with Satan as a, a leader among angels. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the eternal, he has also rejected you from being king. So again, uh, we, we see that Saul, with his impressive stature, uh, you know, he didn't really accomplish of what a leader should in God's sight. Uh, human beings, if they have a choice, want someone who is impressive, either physically or in personality or in influence. But they want that kind of a leader. Now, if a nation doesn't have a choice, well, then leaders are forced on them. And again, that's usually by the deceit or by violence and, uh, and uh, force in that regard. So, uh, again, that's the way the world chooses leaders. But what do we learn uh, from these examples? How will God determine uh, who will rule with Christ in his kingdom? Now, we've already uh, heard a lot in this Feast of Tabernacles. I really appreciate the messages I've been hearing. But we have been hearing about, you know, servant leadership. Again, a tremendous aspect of leadership. And, of course, uh, and then we heard also, again, the, the path to peace. Uh, again, the rejoicing of uh, looking forward, really, really embracing uh, what God has to offer and being thankful and not not you know, looking back at this world, but looking forward uh, to what God has to offer. But what I want to, again, ref uh, talk about in this particular sermon is character and the kingdom of God. Character and the kingdom of God. Now, what does God require in those who, who will rule with Christ and be leaders over nations and cities? Well, again, uh, let's turn to First uh, Samuel 16, First Samuel 16 and verse 6, uh, we, we learn something about how God really uh, picks leaders in his government, uh, physically and spiritually. And certainly we can look upon this uh, in the future as well. First uh, Samuel 16 and verse 6. Uh, we we note, just noted earlier that Saul was disqualified. But here in verse 6, so it was when they came uh, that he looked at Eliab, this is again Samuel, and said, and Samuel said, surely the eternal's anointed is before him. And apparently Eliab was very impressive as a future ruler. But notice what God said. 
But the Eternal said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. But notice this, For the Eternal does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Eternal looks at the heart. So as we sit here uh, during this Feast of Tabernacles, as future leaders in the kingdom of God, and that's you women as well, and our young people coming up as they mature and grow, of what is God looking at in you? God looks at the heart. It goes on here in this example. So Jesse called Aminadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Eternal chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Eternal chosen this one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Eternal has not chosen these. And so Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Uh, you know, I'm not seeing the one, and God's not revealing the one he chose. And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And so he sent and uh, brought him in. And now he was ruddy, uh, with bright eyes, and good-looking. So it's, it's not wrong to have those characteristics. And the Eternal said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Eternal came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So again, it's very interesting how, how God, again, looks at a human being that he wants to be a leader. And God looked at David's heart. Now, David was human, and he had faults, and he made mistakes. But there was a consistency that he always repented, always sought his God, and trusted in his God. You know, God saw that in his heart. And it's kind of interesting, as we sit here, you know, God could have called others out of the billions of human beings in the world, and yet, here you sit. Well, what is it? God is seeing in you uh, that he has not seen in the billions yet. You know, why are we first fruits? Uh, well, God has looked on the heart. And maybe if our hearts were not perfect uh, through his spirit, <laughs> he, is, he is making our hearts the appropriate uh, characteristic for, so we could be qualified in that regard. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 13. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, and verse 21, again, referring back to uh, David. Make sure I'm in. Yes. Acts 13, verse 21. Afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them. This is, uh, you know, referring back to the history of uh, the the, uh, Israel here. And so Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, for 40 years, God gave them. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, 
to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And notice the next qualifying statement, who will do all my will. And so in discussing, again, leadership, we find David's name comes up again because of his attitude and his character, that he had a willingness to submit himself to his very creator, God. Now, when another was to replace Judas as one of the twelve apostles, remember, uh, Jesus Christ told the, told, told the, uh, the apostles, each one of you will be ruling over a tribe of Israel. And yet Judas disqualified himself. And there was someone else to be replaced. So Acts chapter 1. You know, what did God look at? Acts chapter 1. And verse 24. You know, uh, you know, did the apostles think, well, we need another fisherman. <laughs> uh, maybe a better fisherman. Uh, you know, or maybe they think, well, we've, we've covered fishermen and tax collectors and so on. Uh, you know, let's, let's see if, if maybe there's another man who has a different profession. Uh, kind of give us balance. No, they prayed and said, you, O eternal, or O Lord, in this case referring now to Jesus the Christ, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. Uh, you know, they learned a lesson here. Uh, you know, these apostles, they, they realize it's not who we choose, it's whom Jesus Christ and God the Father would choose. So, show which of these two you have chosen. There were two individuals, Bersabas, or Bersabas and Matthias, and apparently equally qualified uh, in, in regard to uh, their, their, their uh, experiences and their attitudes. So, again, you choose who you have uh, uh, want to take part in this ministry and apostleship uh, from which Judas by transgression fell. You know, might, might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So, again, when two uh, had equal qualifications... God, who sees the heart, uh, chose accordingly. Now, what about the other 11? Were they chosen in this way? Let's turn back to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And what do you think he was discussing? What was he praying about? Well, again, it doesn't specifically stay here, but it's pretty obvious when you go to verse 13 that he was discussing whom God the Father I wanted to be the twelve. And even God the Father understood that one was going to betray Christ. So that was also, uh, I'm sure, taken into consideration. You know, Judas. But uh, 
I'm sure that Jesus Christ, just as was back in the time of David and others, that, you know, God, the Father, uh, you know, look, look on the hearts of these individuals. Uh, who do you want to, uh, as, to work with to help them to be the kind of leaders they need to be, uh, to be the original 12 that uh, he would found his church and uh, they would be the first leaders of that church? Who do you want there? And who will be have been ruling over the nations of Israel when uh, Jesus Christ would return in great power and glory as King of Kings? So when it was day, after all night in prayer discussing these matters uh, with God, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. So we're, we're getting a glimpse of how God looked on leadership whom he uh, wants to put in particular positions of power and authority in the right way. In Luke 22 and verse 24, Luke 22 verse 24, you know, there was a also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And that's part of human nature. I know I, know, I think Mr. Hildenberg kind of went through this as well in his uh, very fine sermon on servant leadership. But, you know, that's part of the human nature. It, it starts out young. You know, uh, who can, you know, when you're really little, well, uh, who can ride your bicycle Faster and over more obstacles than, uh, you know, your, your friend. Uh, you get in school and who has the better grades? And, you know, there's always this competition. <laughs> Who's the best in the class? Who's the best athlete? Who, you know, on and on and on it goes. And uh, they were no different. They were human. But it's interesting. God can work with this. You see, you know, God looked on the heart. He said, just because, you know, they had the heart that the Father wanted to be, you know, future leaders in his kingdom. Uh, realize that in the human realm, God works with us. <laughs> we we do fall short. We have lessons to learn. Again, that's one reason why we uh, have the Feast of Tabernacles and the weekly Sabbaths, you know, the, the annual uh, feasts to uh, keep in mind with God's plan, but to, again, to inspire and encourage us to keep growing, uh, to keep using the hearts that God has given us. Well, he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. And I think that was actually even a title uh, that some of these uh, Gentile leaders uh, had. And, uh, you know, that is impressive. I'm sure that uh, through the, the years, there are individuals who maybe didn't like the kings over them. Uh, you know, there were kings of Assyria. Uh, Ashurbanipal and others. And then you have the uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar over Babylon. And then you had Cyrus. And then over, uh, you know, the Greek Alexander the Great. And then uh, four kings after him. And then uh, you have uh, the Caesars over there in the Roman empires. And uh, I'm sure there are individuals who really didn't like them as far as their personalities. But they were impressed, again, with their power and authority. And they would bow down to them. And, of course, from the uh, Gentiles' perspective, the rulership, that uh, whatever we give to the uh, populace, uh, they better appreciate it. 
And they probably consider themselves, uh, boy, if it weren't for our leadership, you know, uh, the uh, the people would fail. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's the way human nature would be. Well, verse 26, Jesus said, don't imitate uh, what is impressive to the Gentile world. You know, don't look for leadership lessons uh, from the Gentiles. Now, maybe you could get lessons on what not, how not to rule. <laughs> uh, but he's saying, don't imitate them. You know, don't imitate the Caesars, the Herods, and, and so on. Uh, although Herods, uh, you know, technically were ruling over Israel, but there were some Gentile issues with them. Uh, he says, don't do that, but not be not so among uh, you, or but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him do as the younger, and he who governs, as he who serves. Notice there's a different heart. Uh, in, in this world, oftentimes the leaders have desire for power and authority. Again, we have seen that uh, during this uh, COVID-19 crisis uh, where, where leaders over cities, you know, we probably don't even, you know, wouldn't otherwise even know their names, <laughs> frankly. Even though we lived in the community, but probably you know, we don't know who the councilmen were and councilwomen and so on. And all of a sudden now they exercise power uh, and authority over our lives. And uh, so he's saying, don't don't be like that. Uh, if you're governed, be humble. You know, like you're the younger one and you have a lot to learn. And you're willing to learn and be teachable. And he who governs in the sense of, you know, motivating, uh, your motivation is to serve and to do what is really appropriate and would be a blessing to whom you are ruling over. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Well, is it not he, whom, uh, he who sits at the table? And Christ was referring to himself. No, he really is the greatest. And yet, I am among you as the one who serves. You know, the word became flesh. He emptied himself so he could serve humankind to pay for our sins and to make it possible uh, that we could live for eternity in the very God family. God the Father, uh, the Most High, gave his only begotten Son that we should not perish if we believe in him. And so the very God family, uh, have they have that attitude and spirit. He says, you are the ones who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow among you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, so it's, it's fascinating that here Christ is helping them to understand this is how you're going to rule in the world ahead. This is how you're going to rule over Manasseh or people, what we call Americans. Uh, you know, this is how you may be ruling over uh, Ephraim, you know, Canada and the United Kingdom, over in Australia, New Zealand. You know, this is how you're going to rule over the other tribes of Israel, France, and others. 
And so it was, it was servant leadership with with a right heart, with a godly spirit. Uh, notice one of the supreme examples of Christ's character. But before we get there, let me just turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, Jesus the Christ. I think one uh, inter- uh, say version of the Bible words it this way. Uh, Jesus Christ was stamped, impressed with God's own character. Now, there may be different dif- uh, definitions of character, I am sure. But, it, but it's basically what you are or what is you're, you are becoming. And it, it's, again, what you are thinking, what your actions are. It's just who you are. Uh, for bad, If you have bad character, then uh, what you are uh, is pretty much uh, evil in that way. If you have good character, uh, then you are a blessing uh, to other people. But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, who referring to Jesus Christ, who being the brightness of His glory. In other words, referring to God the Father. And, those, and the express image of His person. Again, as I said, it's, it's the, the express stamp or impress of God's very character and nature. Uh, and upholding all things by the word of His power. Uh, when He had by Himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand at the majesty on high. You know, what makes Jesus Christ qualified to be over all the creation under God the Father is because He has the character, the nature of the very God family of His Father. In Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and verse 1, with that character, Notice how he approached some of those severe temptations. And I'm using this as an example. This kind of gives an idea of what we're talking about in regard to character. And what we're trying to do is not develop human character. Uh, I mean, there are, are benefits, by the way, to just normal human character, if it's right and good. Uh, but uh, we want, just like Jesus Christ, to be stamped and impressed with God's character and nature. And here's how uh, it shows in what Christ did. In uh, verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. Now, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights uh, to draw close to God, obviously, and God the Father was helping him. I'm sure putting, you know, the, the thoughts and, and uh, helping him to, again, uh, be very close to uh, God's will, character, and nature. And Christ was Emmanuel, God with us, by the way. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Uh, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this, uh, this uh, stone to become bread. And notice the way he did it. You know, notice the character. If you are. And what normally would, would human beings, you know, I mean, what would happen if one of the brethren came in here? Well, if you are a deacon, if you are an usher, what would be your, what would be your, uh, reaction? 
Of course I am. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been ordained a deacon or I've been appointed an usher. Uh, how dare you question my authority? You know, it's interesting with godly character, that didn't phase Jesus Christ. He knew uh, who he was. And so he didn't let that goad him into doing something rash. You know, you know, wouldn't it be the thought, well, I'll prove who I am. I will turn this stone into bread. No, what Jesus said, he said in verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He said, yes, uh, you know, that I could have done that, but, you know, I want to you know, live by every, you know, the, the wholeness of God's purpose and will, his laws, his ways. Then the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. So there may be a, obviously a vision involved here, because he said all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And so maybe he, uh, you know, saw the Asiatic nations, what we, you know, we'd call Japan, China, uh, what became those nations, or, or maybe even the uh, nations in South and Central America at that time, those peoples. But he showed them all the kingdoms in a moment in time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Well, there was, uh, you know, maybe truth and falsehood in that statement <laughs> uh, as we would analyze it. Uh, but therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. What's the temptation? Well, can you imagine? Listen, I, I know you're going to have to die and suffer. See, even the angels kind of know those kind of prophecies. And you don't have to go through all of that. You know, you're born to be a king. Well, I'm giving you, you know, what you are eventually going to have anyway. But you can have it now. Without the pain and suffering. And the glory. And so, wouldn't that be tempting? But, but with godly character. You know, Jesus Christ, who, who, again, part of that character is always following the will of the Father. And again, seeing the overview of God's Word and the, uh, you know, knowing the end from the beginning. He said, answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the eternal your God, and him only shall you serve. He's, I'm not, you know, with, with that character. I am not going to trade uh, loyalty uh, to God the Father to a temporary loyalty just to avoid pain and suffering. I'm going to do what is right. I honor the Father. Uh, he is the Most High God, and that is never going to change in my mind and in my actions. And then he brought him, Satan brought him to Jerusalem, sat him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw, your, uh, throw yourself down from here. And then Satan quotes scripture. And that's why, you know, it's something to learn. That individuals can quote certain scriptures, but are they abiding by the whole context? And uh, putting in the other scriptures, which give understanding of those things. Well, no, Satan didn't do that. He did quote a scripture. It is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And 
In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So see, I'm quoting scripture now. You know, Satan is saying to Christ, uh, you know, how can you fault that? You've got to do what I say. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the eternal, the Lord your God. So that's what you're doing. You know, uh, you know, did Christ have the faith to be? He did. You know, he could have done that and the angels would have caught him. But he realized uh, that's testing. Uh, that's not what God wants. Uh, you know, there, there's more to the picture. And so, again, uh, Jesus Christ, with character, uh, with the mind and nature of God, was able to address all of these. And these are only three of the temptations. There were other uh, uh, not mentioned here, how uh, Satan was trying to test or prod or trying to see the weaknesses, frankly, in uh, the nature and character of Jesus Christ. Uh, but now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Satan never gives up. But it gives an example. When we talk about godly character, uh, of how we can face different temptations or situations that may test, you know, are we going to follow the will of God? Are we going to live by not just part of God's word, but the whole of God's word? Uh, that's very, very important because I know that there are individuals who, uh, you know, they're very good at certain parts of God's word, but they somehow ignore <laughs> the other part. Uh, you know, in the case what I know we've been dealing with recently, uh, government, Mr. Ames uh, talked about that uh, this year would be a test of government. Well, that's part of Scripture. And he understood that from his many, many years in the Church of God uh, as an evangelist and as a, uh, a uh, spokesman or a preacher on uh, Tomorrow's World telecast. And he understood that that's one part of uh, Scripture that some people would ignore uh, during this time of crisis. And uh, so he warned us about that. And so again, uh, just like Jesus Christ, we're learning <laughs> to have the heart and the nature and character of Christ. And we want to, again, not just live by only part, uh, but the whole context and, and as, as much as God's Spirit enables us to do, to discern uh, the whole of the, the mind of God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And verse 14. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But notice, was in all points tempted or tested as we are. And notice the character, the heart, yet without sin. You know, what a, probably the best, uh, you know, kind of one brief description of, of godly character that we can be tested and tried under all circumstances, but with, with the mind and character of God, we would never sin. We would never depart from God's uh, nature of love and wisdom, and law. 
In Dr. Merritt's booklet, The Holy Days, God's Master Plan, he writes, During the millennium, God's laws are to be written in the hearts and minds of his people all over the earth. For God's laws express his very character, the character he demands that we develop in order to be kings and priests forever in his kingdom. This blessing will be afforded to all mankind during the wonderful Feast of Ingathering, the 1,000-year reign of Christ here on this earth. And Revelation 20 tells us, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall rule with him a thousand years. And so all true Christians should be preparing now to learn and practice God's law and his way of life so they will be able to teach these things to others in Christ's soon coming world government. Again, uh, during this Feast of, of Tabernacles, you know, we have an opportunity in a very special way to, to learn and practice, you know, having the heart of God, the mind of God, the character of God. And even on the uh, Minger Golf Course, uh, we can do this <laughs> and avoid temptation. But how does God develop his character in us? You know, those children who have grown up with parents in the body of Christ have been placed in a very special category because they've had the influence of God's Holy Spirit, not yet necessarily ready for you know, that full repentance and baptism. Again, we have to mature a while before we can get a grasp, even physically, of these kind of things, much less spiritually. Uh, but they've uh, grown up under the influence of God's Spirit, and they have heard uh, the teachings of the Bible. And even, you know, our small children, as uh, you know, maybe they're sleeping even during services now, but it's probably entering in their minds, uh, you know, that type of thing. And so uh, they're learning. And they, so they have been, uh, they have begun on a, a great foundation uh, to learn about the mind and nature and character of God. How God's character becomes part of our very nature comes when the Father calls us to Jesus Christ. Now, that's how it really begins. Like I said many of us have maybe come from a different background and have been pretty good people, uh, you know, growing up, even apart from God's church. I mean, you might have uh, cared for your neighbor. You didn't kick your dog. Uh, you know, you, you tried to uh, live a pretty moral life. But when we're talking about God's character, you know, being able to not sin under any kind of circumstances or issues, you know, that would make us uh, perfect leaders under him. Uh, that nature comes when the Father calls us to Jesus Christ. And uh, many of us, you know, uh, grew up in a Protestant background or Catholic background or maybe an agnostic background, maybe no religion. Uh, but finally, when God the Father calls, we began to, to realize that not only did God exist, He was the God of the Bible, the God of creation. We began to realize the Bible was inspired and told of events from the beginning to the end. And it had the laws of God and the teachings of the Creator God. And He established His body, the church. And then it showed how to identify 
that. And then God led us to that. And then God granted us repentance. You know, the willingness to say, hey, we are deficient. You know, we would like to have, you know, fully the, the mind and heart of God, but uh, we fall short and so we repent and we want to totally surrender to God. We want to be different. We want to have God's mind and nature. And then we are conquered by Him. And then we have a desire for His character and His nature and the way He thinks. And so we are no longer seeking our own ways, but God's ways. Even then, even after, again, baptism and seeing God's Spirit, it's a matter of growth and overcoming. But that's the journey we're on. Just as uh, Mr. Crystal mentioned, the journey to peace. Uh, we're all, Along that journey, we're also in a journey to develop the heart and mind of Jesus Christ. Uh, we no longer, again, are seeking our own ways, but God's ways. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. This is what John says in 1 John 5, 3. And His commandments are not burdensome. And again, uh, when you think of even just the Ten Commandments, uh, you might think, well, isn't that bur-? Well, no, because you don't want anyone else to violate those commandments toward you. You think about that. You know, you take the, uh, the you know, last six in particular. You know, if you're a parent, don't, don't you want your children to, to honor you? You, know, you, you? you don't want your children to dishonor and hate you. And you don't want someone to murder you. <laughs> you don't want someone to, uh, you know, commit adultery with your husband, your wife. You don't want anyone to steal from you or to bear false witness against you or to covet, you know, what you have, rightfully have. So they're not burdensome when you look at it that way. They are laws of love and wisdom. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Acts chapter 2, verse 36, what God requires. And He can require it because He can lead us to these things, <laughs> by the way. You know, think about it. You know, God doesn't require anything of us that He will not help us to accomplish and fulfill. Uh, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, verse 36, Acts 2, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's the anointed Savior, and He is your boss and your Lord. Now, as God the Father drew them to Christ and grant them repentance, notice what happened. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, not everyone who hears this word responds the same way. There are individuals who hear what these people heard, what you have heard, and they haven't come to repentance. They haven't uh, been willing to surrender and be conquered by God. It didn't affect them in the same way. But God, if God led you, so it, you affected, you were affected that way. And so and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized. And that's, again, it's very interesting. In this age, there are a lot of people who think, well, we can be close to God, and we don't need to be baptized. We don't need to be baptized. 
Or we can look back and we were baptized in the Catholic Church or sprinkled or baptized in the Protestant Church, maybe by immersion. But what did we know of God's laws? What did we repent of? Did we really surrender to God? Were we conquered? And oftentimes the answer is no. So we were dunked, we were immersed, but we weren't baptized in the sense uh, that God is talking about here. And so uh, many of us were, again, baptized the right way, uh, with the right spirit, the right attitude, the way God wanted us to be. And in the name, by the very authority of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then it says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that was promised again to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the eternal or as Lord our God uh, will call. So again, what a, a wonderful way that God helps us to begin developing His nature and character. And from that time, again, we imbibe in God's Word, the Bible, to learn uh, the laws, the principles, uh, the wisdom, the examples of good and bad leaders, <laughs> the history of mankind uh, cut off from God, and, of course, the prophecies of the future that describe then how Jesus Christ will bring blessings to the world and how the saints will rule with Him, with their attitude, their heart, uh, their wisdom their abilities. Now, how does this make us qualified to rule with Christ? Let's turn back to Exodus 18. Exodus 18. And verse 19. We know that Moses had difficulty, you know, he was receiving and, and following the will of God. He was, as the uh, Bible describes him, as the meekest of uh, men. And uh, he was willing to uh, listen to the, the will of God. He made some mistakes, and uh, God uh, corrected him on those things. But in verse, uh, again here in Exodus 18, verse 19, uh, Listen now to my voice, and this is, I believe, his uh, father-in-law, was counseling him, I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Uh, stand before God for the people so that you may bring difficulties to God. In other words, you, you keep the office <laughs> and the authority you have in your relationship with your God. However, in addition, though, you shall teach them, that is certain men, the statutes and the laws. And show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they must do. They're saying, again, we're, we're staying on the foundation, staying on the path as, as uh, God trains and qualifies. Moreover, you should select from all the people able men, so ability is good, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. And again, then it will uh, be that every great matter they shall bring to you, every small matter they themselves shall judge. It will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. And so uh, again, Moses did this 
And uh, God, again, blessed that counsel. And in a sense, that's what we're training to be. You know, uh, we're going to be over uh, uh, certain responsibilities. And, you know, even the kingdom, it may be that, uh, you know, we, we are at a certain level and say, well, uh, we need to counsel with uh, Moses, maybe counsel with King David, <laughs> maybe counsel uh, with the apostles. And, uh, and uh, see, we work together as a team, even for eternity. Well, God approved of this kind of these leaders to be uh, ruling with Moses. But again, notice the character that uh, is, is talked about here. And, of course, how much more uh, for those who will be uh, deeply converted, you know, hopefully as we are in this day and age. Now, these are attributes that we can use in a very practical way uh, right now in our local areas and at the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, again, here are some of the, these attributes. Being teachable, willing to be taught God's laws and principles. You're not arguing about why we can't keep them, but we're being taught them and understanding what's, what's the context, uh, how these things work in various circumstances, uh, what they mean, how they, how to apply them and being humble to follow the way that we are instructed and they instruct us and to be dedicated to the work that we must do. You know, isn't that what we have been learning in the church of God? You know, to, to preach the gospel, support the work of the preaching of the gospel to all the world as a witness, to do the warning message, and to grow in the very mind and nature of God himself. And so uh, being teachable. Uh, Acts 15, I don't want to uh, take the time, just want to just briefly relate to that. But again, here was a, a situation where, uh, you know, the church was in a sense at a, uh, at a uh, impasse in regard to circumcision. And you have had individuals who would have basically almost stake their lives that uh, you know, even the Gentiles need to be circumcised. And then there were others said, no, we've, we've seen how God works. The principle of circumcision absolutely is true. But physically speaking, we've seen God give the Holy Spirit to those who are not. And so you have individuals on both sides, both totally convicted uh, that one is right and the other was wrong. But the church was teachable. So in Acts 15 at Jerusalem, decisions made that those that said that uh, you know the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised physically, uh, and the implication they would certainly uh, you know be spiritually circumcised, that is repentant and follow God's law, and especially deal with those areas uh, very critical to them. And what was happening? And it just didn't end in Jerusalem. They sent letters to all the churches. And so all the church, all the brethren had to be teachable. No matter what side of the fence you were on, you had to be taught. So that's a very important part of leadership. And for eternity, we're going to have to be able to say, God the Father, we respect you. Whatever decision you make, whether, you know, I think that way or not, <laughs> that's the way we're going to go. And I'm going to, to be willing to follow. I'm going to be willing to follow Jesus Christ and those that he has appointed in leadership positions. And we're going to be dedicated to the work, whatever that may be for eternity in your kingdom. Uh, ability was mentioned. That means being able to apply and practice uh, what has been learned. 
And uh, we, we get an experience in that in uh, various uh, chances to serve during the feast. A godly fear was mentioned. Respecting and standing in awe of God. Believing and having faith that what God instructs us to do will work. And having total confidence in His plans and His purposes. And it is that fear of God, that respect toward God, that is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. And then hating covetousness, the attitude of outgoing concern and the way of give, not get. <laughs> Again, we've had a whole sermon on servant leadership, which is basically saying hating covetousness. These are the very attributes of true Christians. And they illustrate the character it takes to rule with Jesus Christ. Uh, Psalm 15. Just one last psalm. In this particular psalm, here in the, the book of Psalms, we find here in verse 1, kind of interesting description, eternal or Lord, uh, who may abide in your tabernacle? Isn't that what we're learning? You know, we want to be there. So who will be there? Will we be there? Who may be dwelling in your holy hill? Well, notice these characteristics. He who walks uprightly. That means righteously. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean that, I mean, you've got, you're walking on two feet uh, in that sense. No, uh, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness. You know, according to God's law, his mind, his nature, his character. And speaks the truth in his heart. And God's word is truth. So we're going to have God's word in our mind and our hearts. He who does not backbite with his tongue. You know, rather than backbiting and, and being critical and, and uh, in that sense, uh, that we have God's mercy. We, he knows that, you know, like a father, he pities his children. And uh, we, we pray for one another. And even when we fall short, uh, we try to encourage each other and think the best. Uh, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. We, we, we do uh, recognize uh, what is evil and what is vile. But he honors those who fear the eternal. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury. In other words, we, we are very compassionate about the plight of the poor and others. And nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. You know, uh, that's, that's the type of character that God's developing in his people today. And God tests the qual these qualities in us while we live in this world. God is working with us to meet his qualifications. You know, even though we don't meet the world's standards, none of us would qualify to run for president or to probably any other office of government in our nation. But God is working with us to meet his qualifications to be rulers on this earth under Jesus Christ. And God has given us repentance so that we 
reject the false standards of this world and seek God's ways. He forgives our sins and weaknesses as so that we are free to pursue the way of righteousness. God has given us His Holy Spirit. So we should be growing in His mind and nature. I mean, the very laws of God are being written in our minds and in our hearts as exemplified by the fruit of that Spirit. God has given us a work to do so we can learn to identify with and follow God's plans and purposes. God has given us tests and trials so we could be tempered and proven in regard to our faithfulness and our obedience. And God is giving us experience in judgment and discernment so that we can eventually be able to judge or manage the world as kings and priests. When we become fully born sons of God in the resurrection, again, that includes all of us here, we will have the godly character and uh, ability to use our great divine power to rule Christ throughout the millennium and eternity. So again, God is giving us instruction and encouragement, uh, saying that, yes, we can uh, qualify to rule with Christ over all nations of this earth. You know, we are being qualified to, to again, have these wonderful offices. And I said, even though, you know, the world doesn't see it that way, uh, God does. And, uh, again, as as we, uh, you know, leave here this, this afternoon, this sermon, remember, God is looking on the heart. And God is looking at our hearts. But he's helping us to have the very heart of the eternal God. So again, when we think of the feast, think in terms of God's kingdom and character. That's what God's developing in us.